0: Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keefley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. This practical September 17th message is titled, Father's Will, Putting Boots on the Ground. Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. It's Sunday morning, time to delve into some things that are spiritual and uh, maybe uncover some New truth, or at least some slants that maybe we haven't considered before. I'm a very practical this morning. I want to talk to you about the will of God on a very down-to-earth, boots-on-the-ground, practical basis. Can I do that? I want to break this down for you this morning, so that we never uh, have to wonder what what is God's will for my life, or am I in God's will? That seems to be the question. I spent hours and hours counseling people when I was a pastor about the will of God. People upset, not sure they're in the will of God, not sure that they're keeping the will of God. So let's just let's just look at it this morning. Cuz I want you at the digital cathedral that are manifesting his sons and daughters not to have any doubts as to what the plan of God is, what the will of God is for your life. We're going to look at the scripture this morning. Don't often do this from the Old Testament. Uh, I don't have any problems with the Old Testament, but whenever I teach in the Old Testament, I like to remind people that anytime you read uh, the Law and the Prophets, you look at it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, somebody said Jesus is perfect theology. and you, that, That's absolutely true. If what you read in the Old Testament does not align with the attitude, the actions, the demonstration of Jesus... Then you want to put it on the back burner and consider the fact that maybe somebody was not seeing through a glass clearly, but through a glass darkly. But I'm going to read a verse of scripture from Jeremiah this morning, a familiar verse. We used to read it all the time, uh, but I don't think we brought it into right focus. But here's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Now we're talking about the will of God this morning, the practicality of the will of God in everyday living. Are you with me? All right. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. So this, this is his will. This is what he thinks toward us. He said, I think thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. That's God's plan. That's what he, that, that was the, the strategy he worked in sending Jesus, that he unveil these thoughts of peace that contain no evil, and a future that has great hope. Now, if that verse is true, and i got to believe that it is, then there needs to be a huge shift in the thinking of people, especially down at the church house every Sunday morning, and even maybe some of us here at the Digital Cathedral, there needs to be a shift on the way that we perceive the will and the plan of God, the way that it's unpacked. Maybe, Maybe there's still some old clinging vestiges uh, from what religion nailed on you that you haven't been able to shake off? But if Jeremiah twenty nine eleven again, if it's true, then I'm telling you that's a father I can get behind. That's a father I can endorse. That's a plan that I can that I can live my life out, trusting that it absolutely is the will and the plan of God for my life. I can give my attention to that kind of deity. That doesn't make me fearful. Doesn't make me afraid. In fact, it gives me security and confidence. God is good. Jeremiah is saying, God's good. Remember, we saying, God is good. All the time, God is good. He really is a good, good father. Now, let me just give you a, a quick, real quick, Keithley translation on that Jeremiah 29, 11 verse. Now, we're talking about the will of God this morning on a practical basis. If I were to put a translation on that verse, I would say very simply that it is the will of God, the plan of God, for every son and daughter to have absolute life and everything that is encompassed in the life of God for a human being. He's not the creator of sorrow. Sorrow, Life does not contain sorrow. We're talking about life, we're talking about zoe, the Greek word zoe, which means the life of God. There's no sorrow in that, there's no poverty, there's no loneliness, and there's absolutely no death in the life of God. A religion threw us a curveball. And I went for it for a lot of years, and that is when we say, "Father, Thy will be done." We unconsciously open ourselves up to the to the idea that the Father then can visit us with any calamity, with any any uh, sickness to teach us a lesson, poverty to keep us humble, because that might be His will for our life. And I think we get that because right after Jesus prayed, "Father, not my will be done, but your will be done." He went to the cross. He sacrificed his life. So somehow we put a connotation, I think maybe even subconsciously, that when you pray, "Not my will, but your will be done," we're throwing ourselves open to um some some place where we're really not sure. What's going to come our way. And this morning I want to nail down for you that you absolutely can know what the will of the Father is for your life. Let me say it like this. God is light. God is love. God is um, the total absence of any darkness. He is the light. And I'm going to read, read some scriptures about this in just a minute. But I want you to see that in him is no death, there is no darkness, Uh, those things have absolutely no part of his personality or character. When he gives you his life, it's void of any of those negativities. His life is void of those things. So when when he imparts his life into your very life, into your spirit, then what should flow from us is, is a reflection of what he placed within us. He's not weakness, he's not failure. In fact, he's the opposite. He is success and he is power. He has put success within you. He has put power within you. He's working death out of you, out of your consciousness. The more we become conscious of life and shine that light, the more that death has got to flee from us. Jesus came to show us that. Jesus came to perfectly represent the Father. Jesus had twofold purpose. I think I taught on this a couple weeks ago. Number one, he came to show us what the Father was really like. And number two, he came to show us to ourselves. He came to live the prototype life that the Father has planned for every manifesting son and daughter today. Then he turned right around and said, I've come that you might have life. So he just nailed it down. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And again, that that word for life is the word zoe. It is the very essence. It is the very quality of the creator of the universe that has been placed within you. Remember back in Genesis 2-7 when God created that little, that little mud guy, that little mud pot, and stood him up? And the scripture says in Genesis 2-7 that he breathed into him the breath of life. What he's saying is that he breathed into that clay pot, that that little man he stood up, he breathed into him his very essence. Then that earth creation became a living being. Without the life of God, we cannot live. Every person has the life of God. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what religion hoodwinked you with. I'm here this morning to tell you that you have the very life of God within you. And there's no way that you can be without it. To be without it would be to be without life. I want to read that from John 10.10 10, because I want to point something out. John 10.10 10, Jesus said the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life, that's Zoe, essence of God, very life of God, and that you may have it more abundantly. It means it's overflowing, it's it can't be contained, it can't be put in a box. It's it's greater than you could ever imagine. Now, what I want to point out in that tenth verse, he said, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. They told you at church that was the devil. That's not true. He's not referring to the devil in that verse. If you back it up to verse 40, or 40 of chapter 9, and chapter 10 just carries on. In the original, there was no chapter um, separations. It was just one continual flow. But in, in verse 40 of chapter 9, he says to some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard these things and they said to him, are we blind also? So Jesus gets into, a, gets into a, a back and forth with the Pharisees. And then down in verse 7 of chapter 10, that Jesus said to them again. So he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious people. And he refers to them, and it did not sit well with them, he said, the thief comes not forth but to kill, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus was not talking about the devil. He was talking about religious people. He was talking about what religion tries to stamp, uh, snap on us, what it tries to place with on us, great burdens and, and uh, things that are heavy to carry. And He said, that, that those things are going to kill, steal, and to destroy. My life is going to remove those things. Remember what Jesus said, when you know the truth, truth will make you free. When you intimately become acquainted with truth, himself, it's a person, then you're free. The thief cannot steal, he cannot kill, he cannot destroy. Religion has no more power over you when you begin to tap into the life that he has given to us. Now, I've had people kind of argue with me about that, uh, John 10, 10, and they said, well, the life that Jesus came to give us is just spiritual life. That's why I wanted to talk to you this morning about the practicality of the will of God in your life and how we live it out. People say, well, that's just spiritual life. Jesus came to to impart to us a spiritual life. Uh, I don't see any indication in that verse. I don't see any indication in Zoe that it's just a spiritual life. I don't see where where Jesus limited himself and said, well, I'm just going to give you some spiritual life that you can be able to cash in someday. And I I think it's an excuse. I think it's an absolute excuse. There's an old phrase that we become so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And by making this all spiritual and not practical, not only are we removing the kingdom of God in the here and now, the kingdom that is within us that we're expressing as we express the life of God, but we're setting everything on the back burner that would have to do with God's having a plan for the planet. And it puts everything in the future. Have you noticed that's what religion did to you? They psyched you into thinking, the only things that really matter are the afterlife. Where are you going to spend eternity? It, they would sing that song, remember, one glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. That's all what it's about was flying away, getting out of here. That's how the rapture came became such a popular dark, doctrine, and, and, and they got us to believe that things were going to get dark and dark and darker until it was so bad that Jesus had to swoop in at the last moment and catch up his people because he wasn't powerful enough, wasn't strong enough, wasn't able to impart to them enough life to be able to exist on the planet. The devil won. Jesus said, Father, I don't pray you take them out of the world. My prayer is that you just keep them from the evil. And that's how we're, we're learning to walk out this will of God. The, the life of Jesus certainly impacted people that were around him on a very practical, everyday basis. And through you as an extension, I think he's wanting to express his will, his plan, his kingdom, on a very practical basis. Let me give you two quick examples. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says that Jesus went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now that healing could have been physical, could have been emotional, could have been spirit. it doesn't really matter what it is. The point is, when Jesus saw a practical need, he came with a practical solution. He's not just some far away removed deity that is not at all concerned with what's going on today, that's, that's some form of deism. Then, you know, one of my favorite passages over there in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So it was the anointing that enabled him to uh, set the captives free, to set at liberty those that were in bondage. There are seven things that are mentioned there, and I won't go through all that, but it. The point is they are all very practical and down to earth. He met people where they were. And when Jesus saw needs, he met the need. Everyday things. Everyday solutions to everyday problems. He took, he took the zoe, he took the life of God and expressed it into the lives of people. And he said it was due to the anointing. Well, you have an anointing. John chapter two, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27 says that you have an anointing, that you have an anointing that will, that will teach you, that will empower you, that will enable you. It was the anointing in the life of Jesus that enabled him to take the life of God and express it as his life to other people. I don't know how we got bound up in it, but religion has taken these very simple words of Jesus and what he expressed about the abundant life of God for every one of us today and have just given it a spiritual meaning. Jesus came, listen to me very closely right here, I want you to get this. Jesus came to merge two realms. He prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was the expression of the merging of two dimensions. He walked in two realms at one time, and he has given us that mandate as well. That's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about us expressing the plan, the will, the authority, the power of the Father through Zoe life into everyday life now. It's, it, the kingdom is, it empowers us to walk in that realm and this realm at the same time. Now, I want to get into that really in depth at some day, but I'm just I'm planting a seed here this morning. I want you to begin to think practicality of God's will, meeting the needs of people on a very everyday basis because we're, there's needs all around us and nothing will, will turn the attention of people more to the Father than being able to solve a problem. See, I know that you can bridge heaven and earth. Heaven lives within you. And your your feet are on terra firma. Your feet are on the earth, but the kingdom is within you. Not a matter of you, listen, it's a matter of you living out of this kingdom that is within you in daily life. That's why I'm teaching this this message this morning. John 17, when Jesus prayed, he said, Father, I'm going to send them into the world in the same way that you sent me. Don't you know the Father did not send Jesus shorthanded, (laughs) <laughs> didn't, didn't send him without the ability, the power, the, the unction to function, didn't send him uh, with any kind of shorties whatsoever to meet every need, even his taxes. He went down, got a gold coin out of the fish's mouth. <clears throat> do you not think he can do the same for you? It may not be a, a gold coin in the fish's mouth, but it can come from multiple streams into your life when the need arises. And he carried that over in, into our life too. Jesus came to show us to us. Does. came to show us how we can practically live out the Father's will. In uh, John chapter 1, let me read just two, two quick verses of scripture this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of food for thought today that you can just ponder and meditate on. And I, I want you to begin to see the will of God unfolding in your life in practical ways, meeting the needs of people. That's why we're, we're manifesting sons. What are we to manifest? We're to manifest what Jesus manifested. Watch. He, and he, everything he had, you have. That's why John said, as he is, so are we in this world. Everything that Jesus had, he gave to us. He, he hasn't limited us. That's the word I wanted to say about John uh, 17, where Jesus said, I'm sending them into the world the way you sent me. He has not limited us in any way, shape, or form. The limitation comes right here. You, when you think out of the mind of Christ, you see no limitation. He gave us what he has. For John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Then in verse 9, he says, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, if we could just substitute light for life, I want you to see something here. Verse 4, it says, in him was life, and that life was a light of men. So those those two are interchangeable. Then he says in verse 9, that was the true life, which gives life to every man that comes into the planet. You have life. You have his life. He's given it to you when you set foot on the planet. All right? He didn't come to judge us. He came to shine light. He came to give life. He came to unpack what the Father is really life. The, 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 church, the church thinks that's their ministry to judge people. Jesus, Jesus never said he had a ministry of judgment. In, in fact, he said quite the opposite. John chapter five. I'm gonna show you something now. I want your full attention the next four or five minutes. I'm gonna show you something that I want you to come back and study and think about for yourself. John chapter 5 and verse 22. John chapter 5 and verse 22. Jesus makes a startling statement. Now I saw something this week. I got a heavy revy in this passage of scripture that I want to share with you this morning. As much as I have light on, I think there's a whole lot more that I'm I'm pursuing, but I want to show you something this morning about Jesus not judging. He says and he says in himself in John Chapter 5, verse 22, For the Father judges no one. For the Father, I'm going to say it slow. For the Father judges nobody, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So, Father just removes himself from any judgment and says to the Son, That's your measure of rule. That's what I want you to do. That's, That's your commission that you are to judge. Now, in chapter 12, John picks up on that thought and why he didn't keep going with it right after that. I don't know, but he picks up on this thought of judging. Remember, the Father judges no one. has given all judgment to the Son. Now, in the 47th verse of John chapter 12, he says this. Now, remember, Son's got all the judgment. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Man. Did you hear that? If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Tell me that isn't good news. That's the gospel, you all. All y'all, as we say in Texas, that's the gospel. If anyone does not believe, I don't judge him. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him here we go the word that i have spoken will judge him in the last day so there's a word that jesus said is going to judge us in the last day are you are you with me are you with me All right verse 49 i have not spoken on my own authority But the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus said, there's a word that's going to judge him in the last day. And that word has come from the Father. I'm here to deliver the Father's word. He's he's given me the judgment, but he's told me the word that we are to judge by. Are you with me? All right, verse 50. And I know that his command, or the word that he's given me to judge with, listen, Is everlasting life (laughs) that is the word of judgment that verse 47 down through verse 50 will rock your world it will set your theology upside down jesus said if you don't hear his word he ain't going to judge you he said the father's given me a word to judge with and the word i'm going to judge you with is this everlasting life now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there's n- there's not going to be some purification, there's not going to be some adjustment, some change of minds uh, that's going to happen before you fully embrace this. I think that's that's pretty much a decision. But he said I'm I'm not going to judge you in any other way except everlasting life. Now I want you to come. I want you to come back. It's 22 minutes and 36 seconds into the teaching this morning. I want you to come back to John chapter 12, verse 47 to 50. I want you to ponder it. I want you to meditate it want you to chew it like a cow does its cud. You know, they got three stomachs, they chew. I was telling a guy at the gym the other day that, you know, a cow chews its food, swallows it, brings it back up, chews it again, swallows it and brings it up the third time to get every bit of nutrient out of it that you can. That's what meditation and pondering does. I never saw John chapter 12, verse 47 to 50 until I meditated it, until I pondered it. All of a sudden, that word, Everlasting life just lifted off the page. Spirit of God within me said, that's the word right there. That's what. That's the word of judgment. Father judges no one given all to the Son. Son says, you can reject me. You cannot believe my words, I, but you, I've got a word that's going to judge you. It's not my word. The Father's given me the word. I only say what he says. I only do what I see him do. And the word that he's given me to judge you with is everlasting life. You ain't never heard that one at church, have you? I don't care where you went to church. You didn't hear that one? I, I never taught it because I didn't see it till this week. I used to quote the first part, and immediately people, the 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 naysayers are going to be like, yeah, but he's got a word. He's gonna, the word is going to judge us. We didn't read on to verse fifty to see that the word that's going to judge us is the word of everlasting life. Fits right in with what the angels pronounced at the coming of Jesus. They said we've got we've got an announcement. It's going to be good tidings of great joy to all people. Not just people that pray the prayer, not just people that have faith, not just people that believe. It's for everybody. That's that's why we cannot let you and I here at the Digital Cathedral, that we have received light on grace and love, mercy that endures forever and inclusion of all men. We can't let our guard down. We can't give an inch on this message. We can't go back to any kind of law and grace or love and judgment. Love, Paul said, love keeps no record of wrongs. If God is love, then he cannot keep a record of wrongs. He said, I've reconciled the world to myself. I haven't counted their trespasses against them. So why do we count people's trespasses against them? I'll tell you why, because we know them after the flesh. We don't know them after the spirit. We need not let our guard down. The things that I'm talking about, things I talk about here at the Digital Cathedral, they are spiritually discerned. Natural man doesn't get it. Natural man's gonna come on this teaching, watch about two minutes and click off because it makes no sense to him. In fact, it's probably gonna irritate him and anger him because it's different than anything that he's ever encountered before. Let, let me read that. First Corinthians chapter two. There's something I wanna point out here. It's not as heavy as that John, John 12. I'm telling you that John 12 verse 47 to 50 Ought to set every captive in the universe, every religious being, it ought to set you free. If I could take that message and, and delve it to every, I would absolutely do it. All right. Here's what he says about spiritual discernment. Uh what is it? First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse. Let me start down there at verse 14. I'm just reading verse 14 and 15 to be quick natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, because they're not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But you have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is what instructs you the mind of christ there's a there's a lot of teachers today that that teach about mind mind is powerful but there's no mind that is po- as powerful as the mind of christ you have the mind of christ that's what paul said you're not trying to get it trying to achieve it you have the mind of christ so that you can understand spiritual things that the natural man cannot perceive all right let me get back on target this morning i'm talking about The practicality of the will of God. And I've just been laying some foundation down here to show you that you're equipped, you're empowered to be able to express that will. The will of God is within you, comes through the mind of Christ, uh, and you begin to express what he shows you like Jesus did. And you're coming into a place when you're not going to say anything on you. You're only going to say what you heard the Father say. Somebody comes to you with a problem or, or, you know, needing a solution, you're not going to give them your opinion. Come on, guys, your opinion and $2 to get you a cup of coffee, your opinion doesn't mean anything. What's going to count is what flows out of you from within you, this natural life, this life that you can pull on, this Zoe, this essence of God that arrives within you, that the mind of Christ reveals. There'll be times you come out with words of wisdom that you you, you, you amaze yourself. Truly, amaze yourself at what you say. All right, back to the practicality of God's will. I just wanted to lay that foundation down that you're, you're you are equipped, you're empowered, and you're able. All right, second point this morning. Every lack and need that Jesus encountered, He met it. That's God's will. That is God's will. That's how how the kingdom uh, comes to light. For people, that's how their eyes were opened. He didn't. He didn't have. Nobody had to come beg Jesus, tug on his tug on his cloak. They they had pat him on the back, try to get on his good side, give him an attaboy, Boy, Jesus, that was a wonderful teaching. Oh, by the way, I I have a need. No, he. They didn't. People have to do that. People didn't have to fast. They didn't have to prove their love. They didn't have to have a level of dedication or commitment. He simply saw conditions that need to be met and he met the need. He saw the circumstances and he met the circumstance. You know how he did it? He removed the cause of it. He removed the cause of it. He restored life to the person. He restored joy back. He restored freedom. He restored what what the perceived problem was. Uh, Matthew 7.11 is is a is a great example I probably should read that I'd like to read out of the book out of your book <laughs> so that you don't think i'm just making this stuff up. I don't make this stuff up at most everything i get I just get by pondering on scripture i, I read books i'm i'm not i don't read new thought books much I don't read some of the things that are out there. Most everything I do, I get through meditation, through pondering, through thinking, and the spirit of truth rises up, shows me things. That's the way we live. This is good right here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him? So I can tell you, as a father, naturally, I I give my kids, I give my grandkids, you know, I... I've never given them a a, a bad gift, a snake, <laughs> bread with uh, mold on it. I've never given them anything that would be nasty, repulsive, uh, not, not desirous. In fact, when, when my kids and grandkids come to the house, they got free range of the refrigerator. They know that. They're, they're, the fridge, we have two refrigerators. We have one in the garage that has all the cold drinks in it and all the refreshments and they don't ask. They just go out there and get one. Why? Because they're at Father's house. If they, if they want to pull the refrigerator door open and see what Grandma has leftovers in there, they'll, sometimes they'll put it out, put it in the microwave, heat it up, and eat it if they're hungry. They don't have to say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Could you give me something to eat? They know that whatever I have is theirs. Now, if, if, if I do that as a natural father, how much more will the Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him. In fact, you don't even have to really ask him. He knows your needs before you ever ask. But I just like that verse because it shows me that as the natural love we have for our children, our grandchildren, that his love exceeds that. He's going to take abundant care of us beyond what we do as natural parents. And and the book, James, oh, James over there, he He got it. He reiterated it in James chapter 1 and verse 17. He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, he's he's never doing anything other than giving good gifts. The very best in life comes from the Father. So the Father has willingly, without charge, Supplied us with an abundant life. That's his will. What is his will? That you have an abundant life. And he sent Jesus to deliver it to all humanity. Jesus is the federal head of humanity. He came as us, became as us that we might become as he is. He become, he became as we are, that we might become as he is. Have you got that? He, he came to, to bring, bring us everything from the Father that we needed. And, and in these days, I'm telling you something, we'll learn how to enjoy it. I'm enjoying life more today than I have ever. I, and I'm more than a day old. But I'm enjoying, there's just things that I've uncovered. And I'm hearing from other people the same thing. We're, life is good. Life is When you really tap into his life, there is absolutely no, 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 no need. He takes care of it. The more we recognize that he dwells within us, the more we're conscious of that, that he dwells within us, and and we listen to what the Spirit of Truth says and what he's saying, the more we enter into that fullness that he has provided for us. And that abundant life begins to flow, man. And as that life flows, it changes us. It makes us. It makes us light as a feather. The cares of life go. I don't have any cares. I know that my father knows what I need before I ask. I know that he's given me abundant life. This is a great life. I don't. I'm not waiting to go to heaven. I'm not waiting to walk on crystal seas and down gold streets of gold i'm not that's a that's a bunch of baloney can i tell you that that's a bunch of baloney he manifests himself as us and the manifestation of that is the life we desire and that's where religion has totally failed i'm bringing you this this teaching this morning because religion has failed it cannot manifest what it claims it cannot produce what it says it has There has never been a generation up to this point that can walk like Jesus walked and give to hurting people, people with needs, out of the abundance of their life to meet their need. You can't give what you don't have. There's an old saying, you can't give out of an empty basket. I've come this morning to tell you that your basket's not empty. Your basket's full. This, this is the first generation that is pushed through. Remember when the guys were out in the boat fishing, they fished all night and got nothing? Jesus said, hey guys, put your net on the other side of the boat. And they put the, boat, the net on the other side of the boat and there were so many fish in the nets, they couldn't hardly pull them in. They had to, they had to drag the nets in to keep the catch. This is the first generation that is pushed off out into the deep. That's what Jesus told, push out into the deep, let your nets down. This first generation that's pushed out into the deep spiritually and has begun to question and wonder and ask, and the Father has been gracious, he's pulled the blinders off, he's he's pulled the shades back, we're beginning to see like we've never seen before. We all with an open face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And what we're observing is changing us into the same image from glory to glory. That's what Paul said. This is a great journey, man. It's it's exciting. This is the generation to put themselves into Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. To stand back and say, the anointing of the Father is on me. And he has anointed me. To heal the brokenhearted. To set the oppressed free. Those that are in bondage to release them. Whatever, those are practical things. The will of God is a very practical thing. But this is the first generation that that is beginning to be able to demonstrate it because of the recognition of the life and the power that is within us. Can I let you in on something this morning? I know this may shake you up again. This whole teaching is probably messing with you. Jesus never told anybody that it was God's will for them to suffer. Jesus never said to anybody that you have to have lack. He never said, you know, God's going to teach you a lesson. He's going to put sickness and disease on you. God's going to make you, God's going to make you fail to keep you humble. Because He can't get, you're just too stubborn. He's going to make you fail. Jesus never told anybody that. Ever, never, ever. If that's true, if that's true, what I'm telling you this morning is true, then we need to forever put out of our mind any perception that the Father is behind anything, that the Father has caused anything contrary to what Jesus revealed in his life and demonstrated as he lived for 33 years on the planet. What he demonstrated and what he revealed was the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father was never to cause sickness, disease, poverty, or lack. Paul said, my God shall meet, watch, all your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, 90% of the Christians will, will quote that verse, my God shall meet all of your needs, plural. You don't have needs. You have just one need. The one need that you have is to just tap in to what the Father's reserve is and what He's promised to give you through that abundant life. So it's it's not in the mind of a, of a son or a daughter that God's going to hold back anything from them. He's not a holder backer. He's a releaser. That's who He is. That's who my Father is. He's always good. The Holy Spirit is the executor. He's the creator of that will of God. He's the one that comes and shows us what the plan and the will is. And the Holy Spirit only desires one thing. He, the only thing he desires is that we agree and that we submit to what the Spirit of Truth shows us. When the Spirit of Truth shows us something, that's where we go. That's the tree of life. See the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, spirit of truth shows you something, you go, well, I don't know. Let me think about that. Maybe you get a piece of paper out and draw a line down and all why you should hear and why you shouldn't on this side and whichever has the most points, that's what you do. That's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life just says, hey, when he, what when he says to you, do it. That's what that's the life of Jesus. You want to be as Jesus is in this world? Then just simply respond. Now, if he's not showing you anything, then just hold tight, rest. Don't, don't make up something. Don't try to move out into air. When he, when, he tell, when he speaks, you're going to know it. Didn't he say his sheep hear his voice and they follow him? See, when you hear the voice, you follow. Well, if you're not hearing it, just wait. Just wait. It, it's our right to enjoy the entire inheritance he will unveil, he'll reveal the inheritance. He'll show us exactly what's included for us for that particular time. All right, Galatians chapter three. I'm going to start winding this down a little bit. I've, I've been thinking about, I think I've kind of let these teachings get longer because I've got so much to say. And I think I'm going to try to condense what I do on Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral down to between 40, 45 minutes. I don't want to wear you out. Um, I don't want to bore you. Uh I want you to feel captivated in what we're doing. I want you to sense the life that's coming forth. And I just feel if I'm, I've i been getting close to in 50 minutes, and I go, man, I, I the people don't want to hear that long, tie up that much of their Sunday morning or whatever it is when they're listening. So I'm going to try to be a little bit more brief than I have been. So Galatians. Chapter 3, let's start, let's start bringing this into focus. John, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Paul said this, For you are all sons of God. Stop right there, man. That's a great message for the morning. You are all sons of God. You're nothing less than that. You're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what faith is? Faith is just a trust in the one that promised it being able to deliver it. Faith is not something you conjure up or say, man, I got to get my faith up at a high level to get the things of God. I got to get my faith at a certain place that I can move into sonship. No, 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 no. Faith is just simply say, if God said I'm a son, I'm a son. I trust that. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's where we're at this morning. We're in this 27th verse. To be baptized into Christ means that you're immersed in Him. You're immersed in Him. You've put Him on, and you've put Him and you've put on Christ. In other words, it's no longer you who live; it's Christ that lives in you. It's what Paul said: "Christ in you, the hope of glory." I, I'm I'm my I died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. See, you can't. You can't separate my life from the Christ life. Everything I have is because I'm in Christ. I am not Christ. Let me just make a real point. I am not Christ. Everything that I have, I have because I'm in Christ. And he placed me in Christ before the foundation of the world. I never had any position except in Christ. Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ. Jesus, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's where, that's where my life is hidden. That's where, that's the life I live. I live his life as my life. But we're going to get into that for in October for quite a few weeks. I'm, his life is lived as my life. My life is lived as his life. There is a union there, but I haven't lost my distinction of personality. I haven't lost my distinction of liking cheeseburgers, and Jesus probably never ate a cheeseburger. I love bluebell ice cream, Jesus. Probably never had bluebell. I'm, I'm, I'm distinct and yet I'm one. I'm in union in Christ. Right, you got it? We were baptized in Christ. And that's that's nobody's left out in that 26 verse. You're all the sons of God. Nobody's left out. We're all sons through trusting the one that promised we would be sons. Uh, Paul said over in Romans chapter 8, every person he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You're undergoing a process. He's immersed you in Christ. You've put Christ on. And then he says in verse 29, he says, and if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. You're an heir. You have an inheritance. Verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female, for you are all one, here it is again, in Christ Jesus. You can never lose that part right there. Your father that placed you into Christ, now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm winding down. Your father said, I am that I am. That's how God defined himself. I am that I am. What does that mean? It means that I am at this moment anything that you need. You just have courage to lay hold of it. Have courage to begin to, to perceive it, to think about it. Let the mind of Christ cement it. See it with your imagination. See it clearly. Right? You have the right. You have the, pr- you have the right. You have the privilege to say, I am. You're a chip off the old block. You're partaker of the divine nature. Now watch what you say. Listen to people. when they, What they say after I am is how they perceive themselves. What they say after I am is the life that they're living. I am poor. I am sick. I am needy. That's their I am. Now make your, make your I am come in alignment with the Father's I am. He's, li- he's living his life as your life right here on the planet. Let's take hold of that. Let's let's count that as truth. Let's let's focus our intention on living his life as our life. See, I think you're being called. Here's here's the bottom line of my message this morning. I think you're being called not only to know the truth, which is good. You've not you've Most of you have gotten hold of a lot of truth and that truth has absolutely set you free. You're free as a bird, man. It's so good to be out of all that mess, all that condemnation, guilt, all that, all the stuff that was put on us, all the burdens. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We're now experiencing that. That's good. But I think now is the time that we don't only know the truth, but we start to demonstrate the truth in our daily life. And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to huff and puff. I'm not saying you got to strive and sweat and toil. No, 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 no. After you are set free by the truth, the life that you now naturally live is an expression of that truth. I want you aware of that. When you go to Target, when you go to Walmart, when you go to the Kroger store, when you're driving down the street and people see you and you wait, I want you to be aware that what you're expressing out of your life is now the truth. You have decreased and he has increased to the point that no longer can I tell where you stop and he starts or he stops and you start. You have now become one. Jesus said, that's, that's my goal. That in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. We're, in, we're oneness. We're in union. Still got distinction. The distinction I think that we carry is our function. Jesus is distinct from the Father not by his deity but by his function. Holy Spirit is distinct from Jesus and the Father by his function. His function is to always point to Jesus. Jesus' function is to always say what the Father says, do what he sees the Father do. There's one God, the the, the expressions, i never heard anybody say there's three gods. It's an expression. The Son expresses the Father. He walks out the will and the plan of the Father. So let's agree this morning that he is the the supply of every lack. Where you encounter lack, see, I hope by now that there's no lack in your life. You've been able to grab hold of it to that level see i i'm I'm feeling this deep determination that comes from rest that will not be satisfied until we enjoy the father's full inheritance. I think that's so possible in this generation. We are pushing out where men have never gone before we're We're going where others have feared to go. That's why they throw stones at us sometimes, call us heretics, false teachers, leading people to hell. No, we're leading people to absolute freedom. And our love for the Father's grown exponentially as we, the freer we get, the more we love, the more we demonstrate Him. A determined, thy will be done. That is a spirit force, brother, that will manifest in your life of all that the Father through the Son in the Spirit has freely given to all of us. All right, I got to stop right there. I hope you picked up some practical pointers this morning on demonstrating living out the plan and the will of the Father for your life in this time and in this generation. We'll see you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Don't forget John 12, verses 47 to 50. I want you to really meditate on that until it settles deep into your spirit that the Father judges no one, jesus said you don't have to believe in him he's not going to judge you but he said the father's given him a word that he's going to judge by and that word is eternal life that's a great judgment god bless you see you next time next sunday morning same time same station and we'll keep deep diving into the things of god and integrating them into our life see you then thanks for lending us your ears just a quick reminder Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.